And we're just going to get into God's word now. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and open it to Psalm, or should I say Psalm? <laughs> Psalm is the correct pronunciation, by the way. No, it's not. I'm pretty sure it's not. There's an L in there, isn't there? Psalm 32. And just to reiterate, uh, this feels like being amongst friends. And uh, just to reiterate how much of an encouragement this church is, how it has encouraged our hearts, not just our church and air, but I know Harvest Glasgow uh, as well as you've um, prayed for us and partnered uh, with us uh, in planting the gospel in Scotland and the legacy that this church um, continues to sow in our land. So be encouraged by that. Uh, this is fruit that you get to share in and, and rejoice in too. And particularly for how you've graciously and generously sent people to us. Uh, that's been huge for us um, over the, the years and over these last two years as a church. Psalm chapter 32, I'm going to read uh, those verses, that psalm for us, and then we're going to pray to the Lord and ask for his help. Listen to the voice of God. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Just pray for the Lord's help. Father, I pray that in this moment, your spirit would humble our hearts and cause us to tremble at your word, that you would help us to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in these pages, and that as we encounter him, that we would be changed and transformed to become more like him, as a result of our hearing you speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of, if not the biggest cause of joyless relationships, whether that's friendship, marriage, church relationships, one of the biggest causes, if not the biggest, is a failure to grasp repentance and forgiveness. The preacher Legan Duncan has well known for saying about the marriage relationship, particularly people don't fall out of love. They fall out of repentance and forgiveness. They fall out of repentance and forgiveness. And repentance and forgiveness is not just essential to a functioning relationship. It's essential to a joyful relationship. Not just a functioning one, one that works, but one that works joyfully. The same can be said of our relationship with God. 
essential to our relationship with God, a joyful relationship with the Lord is confession of sin and forgiveness. At the beginning of Psalm 32, King David is anything but joyful. Yet by the end of the Psalm, he's surrounded by love and is shouting for joy. How? How does he get there? Well, because he confesses his sin before the Lord and is forgiven. In our silence about our sin, in our stubbornness, in our joylessness, in steps, Psalm 32, to remind us that on the far side of the hard work of repentance and confession is the joy of forgiveness. That's what this Psalm is all about this morning. A joy and a forgiveness that motivates us not to cover up, but to confess and be forgiven. Brian Chappell, preacher and author, says this about repentance. In your ears, what does repentance sound like? We think of groaning and groveling, of grinding teeth and weary resolve. But what does repentance really sound like? When it has completed its work, it sounds like joy. It sounds like joy. So if you're a Christian here this morning, how can you know more joy in your walk with the Lord? Be a person of daily repentance and forgiveness. As a church, how can you increase your joy in the Lord to gather, be a people of repentance and forgiveness? And maybe you don't know Jesus this morning, you're not walking with him. Psalm 32 is an invitation to know real joy, real joy, lasting joy, eternal joy, joy that comes through repentance for sin, which brings you into right relationship, right joyful relationship with the Lord. Here's the big response that Psalm 32 is pressing on your and my heart this morning is to do this, to confess our sin to the Lord now and know the joy of forgiveness. To confess our sin to the Lord now and know the joy of forgiveness. First thing that Psalm teaches us this morning is this, in Jesus, God doesn't count my sin. If you look down at verses one to two, I just reread them again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. The psalm begins with this joyful, exuberant declaration that blessed are those who are forgiven. Blessed really speaks to there, to, to, to the idea of happiness, but it's more than just the emotion of happiness. Jonathan Pennington writes on that word blessed, uh, that it really gets to real human flourishing. So not just the emotion of happiness, but real human flourishing in relationship to God. That's what it means to be blessed, to flourish as a creature of God in saving relationship with him, right relationship with God, which forgiveness of sin enables is the only way, therefore, to be truly happy, to be truly human, to truly flourish as a human being as we were always made to be in right relationship with God, enjoying him. Those verses, therefore, shed significant light on the human condition and also on our inbuilt desire to pursue happiness and experience it. It tells us that our greatest problem, the human condition, the greatest problem of the human condition, the barrier to really flourishing and being happy is sin. Sin is saying, stuff you, God, I'm in charge, no to your rules. It's essentially saying no to God. 
And because God is holy, we, we need to be forgiven for doing that. We need forgiveness. That's our greatest need. Our greatest problem is our sin. Our greatest need is forgiveness and forgiveness from the Lord for he is the one who created us and made us. That's true of us, whether we choose to recognize that this morning or not. I pray that you would. We see three different words in these first two verses for sin, which together show us just how big a problem this is. First word you'll see in verses one to two is transgression, which really describes crossing the line or rebelling against the Lord. Second word is sin, which communicates getting it wrong, missing the mark. If you think about archery, it's missing the target, it's falling short. And then the third word is iniquity, describes twisting and perverting and distorting God's good ways. Transgression, sin, iniquity. Describes the problem and the nature of our sin. And sin is something that we all are, both by nature and by choice. We love our sin. In our deadness of sin, we love our sin. We choose sin and that sin sets us on a collision course with a holy God. But the good news in this psalm is that there are three words about forgiveness which counteract the three words about sin. There's three words that describe forgiveness telling us that God's forgiveness is big enough and comprehensive enough to deal with our sin. Those words are forgiven. That means our sin is taken away. It's removed. It's never to be seen again. Second word is covered. God in his grace covers our sin. He clothes our nakedness. He removes our shame. He buries our sin, never to be seen again. Third word is not counted. God takes our sinful criminal record and clears it, never to be counted or used against us ever again. Good news for David then, the good news for you and me this morning is that our transgression can be forgiven our sin can be covered and our iniquity is not counted against us. That's why David's happy. That's why he's happy. That's why we can be happy. You and I can experience the, the blessedness and the happiness of being forgiven by the Lord, of having our past sin covered, our, our present sin removed and our future sin not counted against us. That's how we can be happy. But here's the thing. God's forgiveness is not cheap. In doing that, God does not pervert justice. He doesn't sweep sin under the carpet. Sin deserves punishment and death. There must be atonement for sin. There must be a perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And you and I in our sin can't atone for our own sin. A perfect and sinless sacrifice is needed on our behalf. That was true for King David. He needed that too. How could he sing this psalm? How could he be forgiven? Well, his forgiveness is based on the covenant promises of the Lord. Throughout this whole psalm, God is referred to as Lord, L-O-R-D in caps. That is the covenant name for God. He appeals to God's covenant promises, God's steadfast covenant love and the sacrificial provisions which were made under the old covenant. That's how David could sing this psalm. But how can you and I sing this psalm? How can we sing this psalm? How can we join in and make it ours? We sing this psalm because of the one who fulfilled those covenant promises. We sing this psalm based on the sacrificial lamb, Jesus, who came for us. We sing this psalm based on our king, King Jesus. 
King Jesus. It's in his name that you and I can join in and sing this psalm and pray this psalm and be forgiven. You see, in order to sing this psalm, to pray this psalm, to make it our own and take it upon our own lips, we needed Jesus to do that for us first. We needed him to do that for us first. Yet he was sinless. He had no deceit in him, yet he took our sin upon himself and sang this psalm as if it was his own. On the cross, on the cross, Christ was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He bore the sin of many. He took all of that upon himself for you and for me. In his death, our sin was counted to him and his righteousness is counted to us. And that can be true of us. We would turn from our sin and put our faith in Christ. We don't need to earn that. He's done it for us. The apostle Paul says as much in Romans 4, when he quotes Psalm 32, he says this, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. God in Christ takes Jesus' righteousness and credits it to us freely by grace when we turn from our sin and trust in him. That's how we can be forgiven. That's how we can sing this psalm and sing it confidently and sing it with joy and pray it with earnestness that God will answer. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, you can. You don't need to earn this forgiveness. You don't need to clean yourself up before you come to him. Forgiveness and happiness are available in Jesus today, right now. If you are a Christian, this psalm reminds you your sin has been covered. No longer is your sin counted against you because of Jesus. You are in Christ. You are living as you were always meant to live in right relationship with God. You can know true happiness. You can live as a truly human person was always meant to live in relationship to God. You can be joyful. That's true of you today. Yeah, we know as Christians, right, that we still wrestle with sin. We still experience that wrestle in our hearts. Therefore, repentance is not just a one-time thing. It needs to be a part of our daily lives. Perhaps as a Christian here this morning, you know that you're forgiven, right? You know that Jesus died for your sins. You know that, God's, that God loves you, but, but you don't feel that love right now. You can't resonate with the joy and the happiness of verses one to two. Why is that? Why is that? Well, Psalm 32 would pose to us that perhaps one reason that's the case is we're because we're staying silent about our sin. We're hiding it. We're covering it up. But because of Jesus, that doesn't need to be the case. It's the second thing we see in this psalm then. In Jesus, God doesn't count my sin, so I don't need to cover my sin. That's what verses three to five teach us. If you look down at verses three to four, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David's staying silent about his sin and given the reality that you and I are embodied souls, that hiding, that covering up was affecting him both spiritually and physically. David's bones are wasting away. The deepest part of him feels this. 
is experiencing this heaviness. The deepest part of him is a, is a fact that he, he's groaning all day long. Perhaps that's you right now. And the ultimate cause behind that heaviness is the Lord himself. The Lord himself is suppressing David. He's essentially squeezing the sin out of him here. David compares his experience to the weakness and the tiredness we often feel in the heat of summer. I imagine some of you know that more than me in this part of the world. Or perhaps you can resonate when you've been in a hot country and, and the heat of midday, or you get into your car after it's been sitting in the sun all day and you're hit with this wave of heat and you immediately, your energy is immediately depleted. You become thirsty, you become weary. Yeah, we can get some water, right? Or we can turn the air conditioning on. But picture David here. He's not getting that relief. Day and night, the Lord's hand is heavy upon him. There's no relief for him. There's no re release. Is that you this morning? Has that been you? That's David's experience when he stays silent about sin. Staying silent about our sin will eventually lead to joylessness and unhappiness. Why do we stay silent about our sin? Why do we so often cover it up? Maybe it just feels too good to us. That, that hit, that release, that relief, that relationship, whatever it might be, it's just too good. Just feels too good. Bible tells us it's pleasure, it's fleeting. It won't last. Its consequences are devastating. They will eventually catch up with you. And that the joy of knowing God far outweighs whatever pleasure you think you're feeling. We perhaps say silent about our sin because we think it's, it's not that bad, really, compared to that person or to this situation. It's not that bad. But remember, our sin is first and foremost before a holy God. Our sin does offend and displease him. Or perhaps we hide it because we don't think we need to uncover it because it's someone else's fault. Someone else made me do it. My upbringing, my hormones, stress. It's not that we don't take those things into account and show grace, but ultimately we're responsible for what comes out of our hearts. We're responsible for our own sin. Shouldn't hide it or blame it or excuse it on someone else. Or maybe the reason we keep hiding it is because we seem to keep getting away with it. It's not coming out into the open. I've gotten really good at hiding this. I know exactly how to keep it hidden. Scripture teaches us your sin will find you out. It will, eventually. Eventually, it will catch up with you. God sees it. And hiding, trying to hide our sin is like trying to hide, trying to hide our sin from God is like trying to hide from the heat of the sun in the desert. You can't do it. You can't, he sees it. It will come out eventually. Or perhaps we hide because we fear the consequences. If we confess this before the Lord and our sin requires confession to those around us. The consequences will be too bad. I can't, I can't uncover it. The reality is your consequences aren't going anywhere. And in fact, the longer you hide them, the worse they get. More important are the eternal consequences in relation to God. All we think about is the horizontal consequences, right? What will people think of us? All these kind of things. Our sin is before God. Consider the eternal consequences. Maybe the biggest consequence we fear is the consequence of reputation. What people will 
think of us, how it will impact our relationships. We often love our reputation more than we hate sin, don't we? The author Tim Chester says this about reputation. He says, reputation is a small price to pay for the joy of knowing more of God and reflecting his glory. Whatever reputational consequences there might be, whatever pain that might bring, is a small, eternally small price to pay for the joy of knowing more of God and reflecting his glory. Perhaps we don't confess our sin because we're ashamed of it. I can't be forgiven of this. This is too big. Have you read the psalm? You can be forgiven because of Jesus. He can cover any sin, no matter how big or bad you think it is. Or perhaps you're reading this psalm, you're hearing this this morning, and you're just, it's just not registering. It's not really hitting. Maybe your conscience is seared. You need help. The good news is that the Lord is at work. His heavy hand is at work to squeeze the sin in your life. That's the good news of verse four. The good news of verse four. The good news of verse four is that God loves us enough to do the heavy but gracious work of squeezing us and suppressing us in order to draw us back to joy. He wants us to know that joy. And in his graciousness and in our deadness, often our blindness, he squeezes us in order to cause us to come back to him. If you feel that heat and that heaviness this morning, let me encourage you to run to Christ now, to flee from your sin and to flee to Christ. And even if you don't feel that heaviness right now, maybe you don't feel that heaviness today, continue to make repentance a regular rhythm in your life. Daily confession and repentance before the Lord is probably one of our biggest and most missed opportunities to experience joy in God. Daily confession and repentance before the Lord in prayer and to one another is probably one of our biggest, and I speak for myself here, probably one of our biggest and most frequently missed opportunities to experience joy. We forget about the joy on the far side of it, don't we? Why are you starving yourself of that? The Lord himself graciously built that rhythm into our prayers. In the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Make that a part of your daily life. Make that a part of your daily prayers. And here's the assurance we have when we do uncover our sin. Lee, give me some assurance. If I bring this out, this big thing, give me some assurance. I don't give you the assurance. The assurance is there. The assurance is that when we do the hard work of repentance, when we confess our sin, we will be forgiven. That's what verse five tells us. David tells us that that's what happened for him. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Here's the good news for you and me this morning. When we do that hard work, that necessary work of confession and repentance, we will be met with forgiveness. We will be met with forgiveness. So don't cover up anymore. Don't hide it anymore. Bring it into the light today. Sin is like mold. It grows best in the dark and it will keep growing and it will keep getting worse. But expose it to the light and it starts to dry up. It will take time, require hard repentance, but it will start to dry up. So uncover all of it. That's what David did. He didn't leave bits out. He didn't reveal some and hide 
the worst bits. He, he revealed all of it, all of it, all on the table, all of it out in the open. Do you see what he confesses in verse five? He confesses his sin. He confesses his transgressions and he confesses his iniquity. All of it. And yes, repentance involves that hard work of turning away from sin. So confession is one part. We then have to turn away from our sin and turn to Christ. We need to walk in repentance. We need to bear the fruit of repentance. That means fighting sin. That means making war against it. That means fleeing it. But we get to do that. We get to do that from a place of forgiveness. We get to do that from a place of forgiveness and of grace and of mercy. And see how readily God forgives him. How readily he forgives us. See all that David does. All that David does here is what? Confess. He confesses and he's instantly forgiven. Augustine says of this verse, the word is scarcely in his mouth before the wound is healed. The word, his confession of sin is scarcely out of his mouth before the wound is healed. That's what God longs to do in your life. That's what he offers to do in your life. How, why, what about justice? Can it really be as as easy as that in some ways? Yes, because of Jesus it is. In Jesus, Ephesians 1, 7 tells us, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. No need to cover up. There's no need to hide sin. There's no need to be ashamed. Jesus is better than the fleeting pleasure your sin promises you. He's bigger than the problem your sin will cause or has caused. He is able to redeem your past, your present, and future failures. And perhaps as you've been listening to this, or you've been, as we've been working through this psalm up until now, your mind has been drifting towards someone else. Oh, this person needs to hear this. If your mind is doing that, let me encourage you to stop and to consider that this psalm is for you this morning. In fact, it's for all of us. That's what David says in verse six. Like David, we all must confess our sin and can confess it. That's the third thing we see this morning. In Jesus, God doesn't count my sin, so I don't need to cover it up and can know the joy of confessing my sin. If you look down in verses six, in light of David's experience, in light of his confession, therefore let everyone, everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. So David now turns to us and in light of what he's experienced, he exhorts us to confess through prayer. And when does he tell us to do it? Now, now, now while God may be found. Forgiveness is free and available now, but what he's telling us here is that it won't always be. Life is a vapor, life is a mist. And there will come a day when forgiveness can't be found. A day when our sin cannot be covered. Either because Jesus returns or we go before the Lord unrepentant. And we will experience judgment. We will experience death and eternal hell. That's what the second half of verses six to seven are getting at. They show us that for the one who prayerfully confesses to God, the rush of great waters will not reach them. The waters there represent judgment. Think of Noah. Think of the Exodus when God's people went through the Red Sea and then the waters came down on the Egyptians in judgment. 
Think of your baptism. If you've been baptized, the waters of baptism represent the washing away of sin. Yes, but they also represent the coming through the waters of making it out the other side, just like God's people in the Red Sea of being preserved through judgment. That's what he's getting at here. We can confess our sin because when we do that, God will preserve us. And secondly, he will counsel us. Once we've confessed that sin, once we're forgiven, we're called to turn back and walk in repentance. But how do I know how to do that? I've just confessed my sin. My life feels like a bit of a mess right now. Where do I go from here? How do I move forward? Jesus doesn't leave us on our own. Jesus instructs us and counsels us as our king, as our wonderful counselor. He instructs us and counsels us from his teaching, from his life. We are to listen to and obey our king. And we can do that. We're able to do that because he's given us new spirit-empowered hearts that are able to listen to him and obey. That's the good news of being saved by Jesus. The warning then is when it comes to that instruction, when it comes to that counsel, don't be stubborn, okay? Don't go back to your old ways where you covered up and hid and, and didn't listen, where you stayed silent. Listen to him, don't be stubborn. Don't be like the stubborn horse or mule that doesn't listen, that doesn't go the right way, that's ill-disciplined and needs to be bridled. Listen to his counsel, obey it. Don't be stubborn about it. Walk with him because it leads to joy. Listen to those that the Lord has placed in your life to embody Jesus' counsel and teach God's counsel to you. Listen to one another. Teach one another, counsel one another to turn from sin and walk with Jesus. Don't be stubborn when those people come to you and speak to you. Third blessing we see in verses 6 to 11, he preserves us, counsels us. Verse 10, he will surround us. You look down in verse 10, many of the sorrows of the wicked but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. When we stay silent about our sin, we will experience sorrow. We will experience woe. It will be painful. There will be strife and anger and relational breakdown and joylessness. And perhaps we think when we confess our sin, it will cause us to become isolated. Isolated relationally. Isolated maybe in the church. It's a lie. The result of confessing our sin is not isolation, but being surrounded by the Lord's love. A love that totally eclipses anything else this world has to offer. A, a superior love that captures our hearts from the love of sin. That's why so often we stay hidden and silent about our sin because we forget the love of God, the supremacy and the betterness of that love. Have your heart captured by that love and that will draw you away from the love of your sin. And know that the Lord longs to forgive you. He doesn't have a short fuse. He doesn't hold grudges. He is gracious and merciful and his love will surround you. So confess to him now. Confess your sin to the Lord now. Make it a part of your everyday life. Don't deceive yourself of your need for that. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Don't be that person. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confess daily and confess comprehensively. Be specific, own it. 
Own it before the Lord and own it before those you've wronged. Recognize that confession and repentance involve not just uncovering sin, but fleeing from it and fighting against it. But we do that with the hope and the grace and the help of the Holy Spirit. Be a person of repentance, but be a people of repentance. The Psalms are not solo songs or prayers. They're corporate. They're to be prayed and sung together. This is a church song. Don't just be a person of repentance, be a people of repentance. Be a church where you courageously and graciously call one another to repentance, where you're willing to confront inconsistencies in one another's walk with Jesus, with truth and love. As a Christian, you need to be in a church where people will do that for you. If you isolate yourself, you're starving yourself of that. In our blindness and our often apathy and hardness of heart, it's so easy to drift, drift into sinfulness and hiding and silence and stubbornness. Surround yourself with people who do that for you and be a person who does that for others. Be a transparent people who don't hide sin before God or one another. Don't let this be a place. And you're all involved in this and all responsible for this. Do not let this be a place that covers up sin, that sweeps under the carpet. Be a church, be marriages, be families, be friends. You don't just confess sin, but then forgive one another as we've been forgiven in Christ. Embody the forgiveness of the Lord to one another too. Be a people, be a church that models confession and repentance to a watching world. In a world where sin is excused and hidden and covered up, where there's lack of integrity, where there's multiple excuses, few things few things in this city, in this country, will point to the gospel more than genuine repentance and forgiveness. Be a people of, of repentance and forgiveness. And make sure you emphasize grace. Make sure we, I, emphasize grace. Meet confession of sin with grace. Only grace can really, truly motivate real repentance. Only grace can cover sin. Only grace can change lives. Only grace can turn repentance into rejoicing. Verse 11, that rejoicing is where you and I can get to this morning. It's not impossible. Verse 11 is where you and I can get to this morning. It's where we can get to on a daily basis. We can go from physically and spiritually groaning and wasted and crushed to being glad and rejoicing and righteous and upright and singing for joy as possible because of Jesus. So confess your sin to the Lord now and know that joy. Know the reality of verse 11 in your life. Perhaps there is something significant in your life right now that you're covering up and hiding. Today is the day to confess it. Today is the day to confess that before the Lord and to those you've wronged. Perhaps confession and forgiveness haven't been or aren't a significant part of your daily walk with Jesus. Don't starve yourself of that any longer. Don't starve yourself of that joy any longer. We're just going to spend some time now going to God and doing verse 6, praying to him. We're going to respond in prayer let me encourage you right now, not just to switch into churches 
ending mode and starting to think about what the rest of the day holds. The Lord wants to deal with you now. The Lord wants to deal with you now. You need to act on this now, this afternoon, whatever it might be. You need to make this a part of your life until the Lord calls you home. So let's just spend the next 15, 20 seconds personally reflecting and confessing before the Lord and fleeing to Christ. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to mention, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change and open to us a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.